Uh, I did want to just publicly thank Miss Louise Hollis for all the work she did in, in the yard sale and all the all the folks who came and helped her out. Uh, we were such a such a blessing. Um, raised a lot of money for our our, our youth uh, here at the church. And praise God for that. And also just thank you for those who attended and were praying for uh, Ken uh, Tedder's family. Uh, they had a wonderful service of just remembrance and celebration of Ken's life. Uh, especially praying for Sandra in these coming days as she is uh, grieving his passing. Well, as we prepare our hearts to hear God's word uh, preached, uh, let us let us stand in reverence of God's word. Please stand as we hear this, the reading of God's holy word. Hear God's word. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. I entreat Udaya, and I entreat Sinteki, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Great God, we come before you again. We, we are so grateful uh, that you are a God who delights to hear the prayers of your people. Lord, we have come to you in praise. We have come to you in confession. We have given unto you. And Lord, you ask us to bring all our requests before you because you care for us. So we do so now. Lord, we, we first pray for those in our own congregation who, who need your healing touch. Lord, we pray for uh, Sandra Tedder. We pray, God, that you would allow her to grieve with hope in Ken's passing. We continue to pray that you'd be with Miss, Miss Ellen and, and Joe as, as they continue to grieve uh, Jerry's passing. Father, we pray that you would help heal um, Max Phillips, Lord, with all the different things he's dealing with. We pray that you'd be kind to Ira Williams and Olin McKee, godly patriarchs in our church. God, we pray that you would just watch over them. Uh, Father, we pray that you would be with uh, Barbara McGirt and uh, Fred Justice as they continue to recover from their surgery. We pray for um, Adam's mother, Rhonda, God, that she would be just healed from this upcoming uh, hip replacement. And God, we ask your hand to be upon Betty and all the things that she has I've been dealing with over the last recent months. We know it's been difficult, Lord. We pray that your hand would be upon her. Uh, Father, we do pray that you uh, now would be with America, Lord, as we have uh, the great decision to uh, practice our democracy this uh, coming week. We pray, God, that you would just be with the hearts of your people, that you would give them wisdom, Father, uh, in abundance, that they would make the choice that would most honor you. And we pray, God, that you would uh, take our country where you will, Father, if it, if it means that we must be persecuted and suffer, God, then so be it. If it means that you would give us a reprieve and grace, then God, so be it. Lord, we know that you hold the hearts of kings in your hands. 
where we know that you are completely sovereign in control of everything. So, Father, whatever the results of this coming election are, God, we pray that we would trust in you, God. That even as this prayer says that we would not be anxious in anything, but in everything, that we would give thanks unto you. That we would rejoice in what you have done for us in Christ. God, we do pray for other nations, Lord, who do not have the, the democratic freedoms that we have. We pray for the people of Venezuela. Lord, we pray that you would just be with that nation. We pray that you would strengthen the church there, God, to stand against um, this regime of tyranny. God, we pray that you would allow your, your people there to be a, a, a source of blessing to others. Uh, dear God, we pray that you would uh, continue to allow the gospel to, to reign in, uh, in and through the pulpits there. Father, we also just pray for churches here in Rock Hill. Uh, we pray for uh, Scott Davis and Northside Baptist Church this morning. We pray, God, as he preaches the word of God this morning, we pray that you would uh, build that church more and more into your likeness, that that church would be a holy reflection of your character. We pray, God, that they would understand and know the peace of God that transcends all understanding. And dear God, now as we, as we come to the time where we prepare our own hearts to hear your word, we pray, Lord, that you would first just soften our hearts. God, that the hardness of our hearts that has kept us from obeying, kept us from, from listening to your holy word, we pray that you would just do away with that hardness, God, that you would soften us, that we would be receptive to your word. Dear God, we pray now that, that you would be exalted. I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase, that the name of Jesus Christ would be extolled, God. We pray that you would be with the meditations of my heart, Lord, the words of my mouth, that I would be a, your mouthpiece to encourage and edify your people. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and you would convict us, that you would remind us of our sin, God, that you would show it to us. And then, God, that you would bathe us in the blood of Christ, Lord, that we would remember that we are cleansed through what Christ has done on the cross, that we are forgiven and that we have peace. Dear God, we pray for any disunity among us, Lord, uh, the disunity among our own fellowship, people that we may be harboring bitterness against. God, we pray against that bitterness. We pray for reconciliation among all of us in this body. God, we pray for those who are here and those who are not here. God, we pray that you in your miraculous power, Lord, would bring about divine forgiveness. Lord, we do pray for all the families here, uh, not just the families represented in these pews, but the extended families, Lord, and the, the tension and the division that is in them. God, I pray that you in your kindness would bring about your mercy to bring about reconciliation there. God, we do pray that in all these things that we would rejoice in you, knowing that you are the one who is in control, God. We know that you are near, Lord, uh, that our salvation is nearer now than when it, we first began. So, dear God, I pray that through this message you would work your will, and that you would glorify your holy name, and that the people of God here in, at Park Baptist Church, God, that they would glorify in you for what you have done for them in Christ. Pride, we pray, Lord, that you would work in our own hearts to give us a peace that transcends all understanding, that you would guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We pray that you would do this for our good and for your glory's sake. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> uh, one of America's greatest feuds has been between the Hatfields and the McCoys. Uh, the Hatfields and the McCoys both live in the Appalachian Mountains, the Hatfields, led by uh, Patriarch Devil Ansel uh, Hatfield, lived on the West Virginia side. The McCoys uh, were on the Kentucky side, led by Randolph McCoy. Uh, it's, it's debatable how this feud really started, but it really started hitting ahead in 1878 in the fall when 
Randolph McCoy accused Floyd Hatfield, the cousin of Devil Ansett, of stealing one of his hogs. The case went to trial, and on the jury sat six Hatfields and six McCoys. It led to an innocent verdict. One of those on the juries, Bill Statton, actually had family ties to both the Hatfields and the McCoys. The McCoys did not take kindly to him siding with the Hatfields, so he was killed. Several years later, on Election Day, believe it or not, 1882, three of the younger McCoys, Tolbert, Farmer, and Bud, stabbed Ellison Hatfield 26 times, who was the brother of Devil, and shot him at close range. Devil, quick to retaliate, gathered these three young boys and just waited to see if Ellison was going to survive. After two days, Ellison died. And Devil Hatfield took it into his own hands and blindfolded these three young men and riddled their bodies with bullets. Devil Hatfield and Randolph McCoy hated each other. And their hatred began with a battle over a hog led to the death of 15 family members, including five of McCoy's children. Randolph McCoy, at 88 years of old age, when he was right before he passed, he said he never recovered from losing those children. How could that level of hatred be ended? How could peace become between those two families? It may be difficult for us to see how an incident with a hog created the bloodshed of the Hatfield and the McCoys, but it's not difficult for us to see the conflict that wages war in our own soul. We have all had disputes, arguments, quabbles, quarrels, misunderstanding with others. Some we have resolved, and others we have just left unresolved. The Hatfields and the McCoys were uh, these two opposing families. But we know that many of us, as we approach these Thanksgiving holidays, the Thanksgiving holiday and the Christmas um, season, that there's going to be many strained relationships, sometimes in our own home and sometimes forcing separate gatherings because people won't be in the same room with each other. Conflict, division is natural to the human experience. In the book of James, chapter 4, James the Apostle writes this, What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to, fall, to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I'm not sure if you, you see where James is, is going here. This conflict and quarrels that arise among people is not a sign that you belong to the Lord, but it's a sign that you are a, a friend of the world and an enemy of God. 
as Christians, we know that we are ambassadors. We are representatives of God here on earth to the watching world. And it's interesting how often at the end of the epistles, we see this, this reminder that the God of peace be with us. Just hear how the end of these epistles go. Romans 15.33 says, May the God of peace be with you all. Romans 16.20, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 13.11, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. And Hebrews 13.20, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead Jesus our Lord, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. At the end of all these letters, I think the writers wanted to remind us that we are a God, we serve a God of peace. Well, why is that important? It's because we live in conflict. We live in dissension. How often it is when a marital couple will have a, a quabble in their home or, or an issue you have with a brother that would divide and break the fellowship of the saints. We know that God is a God of peace. And he's also the one who sent the Son of Peace. Jesus Christ was, came this world on a mission of peace. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Romans 5, 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more now that we are reconciled shall be saved by his life. Beloved, we follow the God of peace, the Prince of Peace, who made peace with God in our conflict against Him. We all know that we are sinners and we live in rebellion against God and we deserved a, a right and just rule because of that rebellion. The wrath of God. And yet we just sang it, right? That in the cross, in the cross, Jesus Christ bore all the wrath of God. So we could be forgiven. So we could go from enemy of God to friends. God has made peace with us through His Son. And because God is a God of peace, and He sent the Prince of Peace to make peace for us, we have to remember that God cares about conflict. Conflict, division, and dissension are no small matters in the eyes of God. Now, how many times when we, we, we know that, we know that God is a God of peace, and you're, 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 you're hearing that, and maybe even now there's this objection that is kind of rising up in your soul, but you don't know. In this particular situation, in this particular issue, with this particular person, you don't know the whole story. You're almost starting to justify your dissension and division. You don't know what he did. You don't know how hurt I am. You just don't know. Beloved, 
as human beings, we may never know the, the depth of our emotions. We may be able to relate, but we may never fully know what conflict you're, you're dealing with. But the conflict that you have with another is no greater than the conflict that you had with God. And God knew that conflict. And God solved it through his son. God wants his people to be a people of peace. To be at peace with one another and ultimately to be at peace with him. Uh, this morning, I just want to look at two just general uh, principles that I think we can see from this passage. The first, we want the joyful peace of the saints. The joyful peace of the saints. You've already heard it prayed several times. We want to be a people of peace, to have no divisions and disunity among us. Even the way we opened our service today, Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. Well, we know here from the book of Philippians that not everybody in the, the church at Philippi was dwelling in harmony and unity. Uh, right, right off, you see in verse 2, you see two names that are mentioned. You don't, I've been trying to say this name and I've been butchering it every time. Eudoia, someone help me out here. You know, I even read this out, I had, had the, the, the computer read it out loud to me so I wouldn't butcher it. And I was sitting at home, practice, saying, Euodia, there it is, I got it. Euodia, Euodia. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Synteki, okay, to agree in the Lord. So you see these two prominent women in the church. Now, I think it's, a, it's important to note that these are not women who are causing natural dissension. These are not those who are, who are never participating in the ministry of the church, kind of on the sidelines, just kind of looking in and, and hailing criticism bombs to the church. Now, these are godly women who served for the gospel. Look what it says in, in verse 3. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who did what? Who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So these are godly women. And notice before we even talk about their conflict, that they are leaders in the church, that they are leaders in the proclamation and the defense of the gospel. Now we know that, that the scriptures teach that God has given the mantle of, of pastoral elders in the church to men. God has given that in the scriptures. But that doesn't mean that God has not called women to serve in the gospel ministry and to be leaders in the church. I was so encouraged when I heard that our, a few of our ladies got together on Friday night and just asked each other, how can we better serve one another in the Lord? Just hearing how they have a heart and a passion to care for one another in Christ. That's like pastor gold, right? When you see the Spirit of God working in the hearts of their people. Praise God. We need more leaders in the church who are women. Serving side by side together for the gospel. We also know that these women, are, are in, their names are written in the book of life. They are believers. They have everything based on what you see in their life, that they are believers in the Lord, meaning that they will one day be in God's presence so that they have this issue. We don't know exactly know what this disagreement or what this issue is. Everyone at the church at Philippi 
knew what the issue was. Because there's been conflicts that kind of rise up in, in groups from time to time, and you don't need to say the conflict. Everybody kind of already knows what's there. But in God's providence, we don't know what the conflict's about. I think that helps us. Because we don't have to know the, the ins and outs, but we have to know that God commanded, commanded each of these women to agree in the Lord. They need to be reminded of the gospel in which they labored side by side together with. That they who were once enemies have become a friend of God because of the peace made through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were this, this idea that Paul uh, entreated both of them, right? He entreated both of them for, to take the first step in bringing reconciliation. If you remember last week, uh, just turn back and look at the end of Philippians chapter 3. So in beginning in verse 3, it says, or chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Paul is saying, not that I have already obtained this or been already made perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining for forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of you, but those of us who are mature, think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. And I think one of the applications that Paul expects the church at Philippi to do is that if you have peace with God, you need to live at peace with one another. That's the application. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, then you should be on a mission for peace with the brethren. There should be no division in, in the local church, right? There should be no arguments that, that well up that cannot be solved quickly and graciously in the spirit of Christ. Because Christ is a God of peace. Forgiveness is a promise to God. When we forgive someone, we are, we are promising that we will no longer hold that against them. Because that's exactly what God did for us. We have sins and, and, and uh, right judgment against us, and God promised us that he will no longer hold us accountable to that sin. So we stand today forgiven, complete and in full. He will no longer hold his right judgment against you because he placed it upon his son. It's a promise. It's the same thing we do when we forgive others. We forgive because God has forgiven us. Conflicts, bitterness, they're so easy to happen. Just recently I was talking to a friend and uh, they're going away for Thanksgiving and their family... Their family have not been in the same house together for about 10 years. 10 years, a family hasn't been in the same house together. Why? No one really knows anymore. I was talking to a dear, dear friend, an older saint in this church, um, and he shared the same thing. I haven't spoken to uh, my brother in years. And I go, why? What happened? I don't even know. Conflicts and bitterness are so natural to our experience. So when, when, when we are offended, 
what do we want to do? We tend to, to retreat into ourselves. And instead of dealing with that, that issue, we just let bitterness harbor and grow. Right? Like, like mold in the kitchen. Right? You put that food in the refrigerator and you just leave it for a while and then the mold starts to grow. And I, I, I promise you that we have a lot of, of moldy hearts when it comes to conflict with others. Because we are not obedient enough to address it or to bear with our, our brothers. There are many of you here who may have conflict in your lives, bitterness with somebody else. Can I entreat you like Paul entreated these dear saints that you would work for peace? That you would work for peace for the sake of the name of Christ. Because when there is peace, we reflect the, the, the loving peace that God brought us through the blood of Christ. When we are not at peace, when our, when our homes are not at peace, when the, when the fellowship of saints are not at peace, we dim the reflection of the gospel. But when we are willingly to, to lay down our life like Christ did in chapter 2, who being the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, becoming nothing taking the very form of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him. Beloved, if we want to follow in Jesus Christ's footsteps, we have to pursue peace. So right now, when I say you need to bring peace with this person, who comes to your mind? Apply the scriptures in your life Work for peace with that individual. Ask that God would reveal it to you. And for us as a body, this, this peace that we have to constantly work towards is, is a beautiful reflection to the outside world that we are followers of Christ. Listen, the, as the world gets darker and darker, and many of you probably feel it, the world's getting darker and darker on the outside. What it takes is it takes the church to shine even brighter. And if the, if the church needs to see the beauty of a reconciled people, well, then let it be ours. Let them see our unity. Let them see our, our oneness. Let us see our, our harmony as a testimony of the gospel of Christ. I said it several weeks ago, but there is no greater apologetic of the gospel than a unified, diverse body of Christ. There is no greater defense for the gospel when God's people love each other in peace. I pray that we would do so here. The second thing I want you to see here from the text this morning is the joyful peace of the soul. The joyful peace of the soul. So the one is this application of the gospel into the unity of the body. Right? We should be at peace with each other. And then he kind of changes it and makes it this, this application towards the, the soul. This peace of the soul. Look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. You know, Paul oftentimes repeats himself in this letter. He does it at the beginning of chapter 3. This is no hard, hard for me to say this. Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble. It is safe for me. Rejoice in the Lord. This joy kind of is wo woven through this entire uh, epistle. And I think that repetition is to drive home how do we work for peace. Well, you rejoice in the Lord. You let your genuine love for Christ be clear to all. 
I think this is, what this means is this is this regular practice of applying and preaching the gospel to your own heart. Is we every day we, we need to think and meditate what God has done for us in Christ. We need to have joy and rejoice in the Lord that our greatest judgment that was against us has been paid for in Christ. So it doesn't matter whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, we can rejoice in the Lord. Always, it says. Always. It doesn't mean that you have to rejoice in all the things that are happening to you. Because the things that happen to us in a fallen world are hard and all are not good. But God says that we can still rejoice in Him. Why? Because He sent Christ for you. He made peace with Him through Christ. You are forgiven, redeemed, bought back with the blood of Christ. Christians rejoice in the Lord because we are always treated better than we deserve. This is one of the things that has helped me probably most in conflicts